Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. It was just like with many of us. We didn't do anything, and all of a sudden, someone came into our lives and told us about the Lord Jesus Christ, what a terrible sinner we were, and how all those sins in the past could be forgiven by him. You know, for me, it was Cheryl. I found the pretty girl. I learned that I found a far more beautiful Savior. And like Hagar, I did nothing, and all of a sudden, a new chapter of light opens in my life where I was in the light. But in verse 7, a new chapter has opened in Hagar's life where she did not appreciate the light that she was in, and she has run away from the light in Abraham's house. And sitting by that fountain there in the middle of the wilderness, we see Hagar who is now afraid and she just doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know where to turn. She's confused. And in that state of mind, God finds her. And sometimes we're in this situation. That's why it's so valuable for us to look at it. Sometimes we're in the verse 7. We've allowed ourselves to sin and to separate ourselves from God. We've allowed some dark passion. Maybe like Hagar, we allowed the dark passion of pride and anger to get the best of us. And we said words that we wish we had not said. And those words have come in between us and God. And we're like Hagar, we feel we're out there in the wilderness and we feel so separated, like she did. We feel so alone, we feel so badly and we don't know what to do and we feel so wrong and we feel the damage that we've created and we're confused, like Hagar. And we just find ourselves like a Hagar sitting out all alone by some fountain of water having no idea what to do next. That's Hagar. And so now we see in verse eight how God comes to rescue Hagar in her state. And what we see here is how God is going to restore Hagar. She's going to restore Hagar from where she fell. And in that restoration process, the first words that God says to Hagar in that situation is in verse 8, and it's where it says, and he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid. Those are the first words that Hagar hears from God. He says, Hagar, Sarai's maid. Her name, he hears, what does she hear? She hears her name and her title. You know, Hagar heard God call her by her name, and that was a wonderful feeling. You can imagine for Hagar, I mean, uh, she thought, God just called me by my name. God called my name. That means he knows me. God just called me by my name. That means he sees the state, the desperate state I'm in right now. God just called me by my name. That means he cares for me. He wants to help me. It's such an encouragement to Hagar to hear God call her name. And then God says to Hagar, her title says, Hagar, Sarai's maid. Now, why did God say that? Why did he say Hagar, Sarai's maid? You know, was it because there were a lot of people out there, several Hagars? Let <laughs> me make sure we got the right Hagar. I mean, the Hagar, Sarai's maid, please step forward. You know, it wasn't like that at all. Because she's the only one there. 
So, you know, God didn't say, Hagar, Sarah is made to make sure that, you know, got the right one. God called out, Hagar, Sarah is made, because that was the first step back for Hagar on her road to restoration. When God called out, Hagar, Sarai's maid, what's important is what God did not call Hagar. You know, God did not say to Hagar, Hagar, Abraham's wife. But that's how Hagar was thinking of herself. She was thinking of herself as Abraham's wife. That was why Hagar despised Sarah, because Hagar had imagined herself to be a wife of Abraham, and as a matter of fact, the better wife, the more preferred wife, if you don't mind. And that was the root problem with Hagar, and that was why she was separated from Abraham's family, because of P-R-I-D-E, because Hagar was proud. Hagar was Sarah's maid, and God had placed in her, in that family, as Sarah's maid. But when Hagar had seen that she had conceived with Abraham, she thought to herself, oh, I'm not just Sarah's maid. I'm Abraham's wife. I'm the wife of the owner of this big caravan, of all this wealth. And I'm just not another wife that's equal with Sarah, with that old lady Sarah. I'm the young wife, the fertile wife, that's carrying the only heir to Abraham, my husband. I'm really something. That's Hagar. I'm the wife of Abraham. I'm the mother of his heir. Who's this Sarah? She's nothing. It's an old lady. I just look down on her. I despise her. I'm better than her. And when Hagar took on that new attitude, she lost her soberness of thinking. She was no longer sober in her thinking because she was no longer thinking of herself as just Sarah's maid, but she became drunk with feeling her own importance. And in this drunken state of thinking herself to be more than she should think of herself, Hagar did exactly what Paul warned believers, don't do this. And we see this in Romans 12, 3, Paul says, and you remember Romans 12, where he starts off, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. And then he goes on, And he says in verse 3 of Romans 12, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, not drunken, but soberly. And Hagar was thinking drunken, whatever that means. She was thinking like a drunkard, and she was drunk with herself and the feeling of how important she was. That's why Paul says not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. And it was time for Hagar to sober up in her thinking about herself because she was thinking and imagining herself to be Abraham's wife, Abraham's better wife, and all that thinking was making her drunk thinking. And she needed to sober up of who she really was. And Paul says, same for us. Don't think of yourself more highly than you do. If you do, you're drunk in your thinking, but sober up. And Hagar needed to think soberly. And God says, I'll sober you up. And it won't be a cup of coffee. (laughs) But God says, I'll sober you up with these words. Hagar, Sarai's maid. That was God sobering up 
Hagar's mind. And for any lost person to come out of darkness and come to the Lord Jesus Christ, he's got to sober up and stop thinking of himself that he's very important with. He's filled drunk with the feeling of his own self-importance. And so what we see here is God leading Hagar out of her pride with these verse 8 words. Hagar, Sarai's maid. You know, that's that mighty hand of God coming down on Hagar, pushing her down from being Abraham's wife. And every lost person must humble himself under the mighty hand of God. Let God lead them out of pride into the humility of seeing themselves as a poor, lost sinner. That's sober thinking. And like with Hagar, every lost person must accept God's Hagar, Sarai's maid, call to them. John, you poor, lost sinner. That's God's call. And that's why God's first call to Hagar was Hagar, Sarai's wife. And if Hagar was going to go on with God, she had to accept the bearing of her pride, and she had to get in the place of humility. And that's true of us. That's true of us. If a sin has brought us into a desperate sitting by a fountain in the desert, no idea where to go, step one, bury the pride. Bury our pride and become humble. Because for both the lost and the saved, the principle is true for both. Where it says in James 4, 6, and he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth. It's a bad thing to be resisted by God. God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You want to see a hand in someone's chest? God puts his hand in the chest of a proud person. Proud person's going to try to come to God, and God puts his hand right in his chest and says, you're not coming. Because everyone in hell today who would say, Lord, Lord, open up heaven for me, and everyone in hell today is there for just one reason, P-R-I-D-E. That's it, pride. And if we're honest and look carefully, we'll see that like Hagar, we've sinned because of our own pride. It's always at the base. And like Hagar, we thought of ourselves more highly than we ought. And the first step back is to let God put us in the Hagar, Sarai's made place. So God calls to Hagar, Hagar, Sarai's maid. And by saying that, God is saying to Hagar, you are not Abraham's wife. You are not elevated above Sarah. You have no reason to look down and to despise Sarah. You are Hagar, Sarai's maid. And Hagar is very smart not to argue with God. It's very smart not to argue with God. You can't win that argument. Or to rebel against God, but to accept her place as Sarah's maid. Now, by accepting her humble position as Sarah's maid, Hagar's now ready to start thinking soberly, like it says in Romans 12, 3. And so with this renewed sober mind, God now asks Hagar this question, whence camest thou? So he's asking her, turn around and look back on your life. And when God said that to Hagar, he knew where she came from. He didn't need the education about it. (laughs) He's not trying to find out. He's wanting Hagar to think about where she had come from. And so God is wanting Hagar to think about the last two chapters in her life. The chapter of Hagar's darkness in Egypt and the chapter of Hagar's light in Abraham's family. And so the question, whence camest thou, God is leading Hagar to think of all she had left. He's leading Hagar to consider all the light she's running away from. And that reminds me of a missionary family, you know, in Indonesia who had adopted the boy and the girl from the capital, Jakarta, and the mother of the children had been a prostitute. And as the kids grew up in the jungle there with the missionary family, they got proud. 
And they started to talk about, boy, it would be so much better if we were in the city of Jakarta where we came from. If we just could have been left alone and never been adopted. And it would have been exciting to live in Jakarta, to back on the streets. And it irritated. (laughs) It irritated the family. So they decided, the father decided, they just had too much of this kind of talk. So he said, okay, I'll take you back to Jakarta, and we'll go back to those streets where your mother was a prostitute, and you'll just see how great this life is. And they did, and they went back there, and they saw, and that cured the kids. They never talked about it anymore, that they wanted to live on the streets of Jakarta. And that's what God's question is designed to do for Hagar. Whence camest thou? It's designed to do the same thing for Hagar, to cause her to look back and to see, just like those kids had a chapter one, she had a chapter one in her life in Egypt, and then her life of darkness, and then she had a chapter two, her life in the light. So God's saying, you need to see this clearly, to appreciate what you are now running away from. She's running away from the place of light where God was honored. And with that question, Hagar thought, boy, with Sarai and Abraham's wife, I mean, Abraham's maid, I mean, when I was in that position, I heard about God. I saw people pray to the only true God. I was in a place where God was honored and spoken about. I was in a place where God was worshiped and adored. I was in a place of light. Now where am I? There's no knowledge of God where I am right now. I've left the place of light and gone backwards to a place of darkness. I'm running away from light. So when God asked Hagar this question, once camest thou, God's asking her, what light are you running away from? And that's the question that God asks every sinner. What light are you running away from? Is it the light of a gospel-preaching church? where you've just snapped your fingers in the face of a pastor or wherever and said, you know, I don't have to take this, and you're running away from that? Is it the light of a Christian family or a praying mother that you said, I got things to do and people to meet and not, I don't want this? Is it the light of a Christian friend that you're running away from who brought you the gospel, you're running away from that? But God has the same question for every person. Whence camest thou? And that question's for every sinner. What light are you running away from? And God asked that question because he said in John 3, 19 through 20, he talked about what condemnation was. And he defined condemnation like this. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, or he runs away from the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. For Hagar, light came into her life, and now she loved darkness because she's clinging to the deed of despising, the evil deed, of despising Sarah in her own pride. And the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world was light is come, and with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great decision is made. Either Hate the sin and love the light, or love the sin and hate the light. And to make that fatal decision to love the sin and hate the light is described by the Lord Jesus Christ as the one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light. You show me a person who loves his sin, and I'll show you a person who hates the Lord Jesus Christ and will not come to the Lord Jesus Christ. It all comes down to whether or not a person is willing, as we said last week, to frame his doings. It all comes down to whether a person is willing to natan or give up 
his sin to be taken away like the people who lived in Jerusalem and they would carry their trash out and throw it into the valley outside of Jerusalem, Gehinom, where there would be all this burning taking place. It all comes down to whether or not a person is willing to separate himself from his sins so that he won't be separated from God. That's why God asked Hagar, whence camest thou, to bring her face to face with what she was running away from. And then, after he's asked that question, reflect on her past, then he says, okay, Hagar, and he asks you to reflect on your past with the whence camest thou question. Now in verse 8, God is saying, now turn around, Hagar, and now look in the future. Look what lies ahead. And ask the question, he asks the next question, whither wilt thou go? So when God asked Hagar, that God was saying to Hagar, Hagar, how's your life right about now? How are things going for you, Hagar? Why don't you think about that, Hagar? Are you happy with how your life is turning out right about now? Are you heading in the direction that you want to go in? Where are you going, Hagar, in your life? Those are penetrating questions that God was asking, Hagar, and they're penetrating questions that God asks every lost person. Because for a lost person to be saved, he's got to look at his life and realize that he's heading nowhere. And he has to realize that he has no idea where he's going. And that's why Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, got such traction. Because it caused people to see they don't have a purpose that's driving their life. Now, notice how Hagar responds in verse 8 to these two questions. She says, in verse 8, and she said, I flee from the face of of, uh, my mistress Sarah. So that was all Hagar had to say. She was running away from Sarah. She has no answer to the second question, where she's going. She doesn't know. She only has an answer for the first question as to where she's coming from. So Hagar's answer was that I'm in rebellion against Sarah. Sarah was for Hagar God's way to break Hagar's pride. And Hagar was running away from God's instrument to break her pride. And she admitted that her new direction in life was to preserve her pride and run away from Sarah. So now we see in verse 9, God gives instructions to Hagar with two words, return and submit. Return and submit. The angel of the Lord said unto her, return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hand. So Hagar now is at a crossroads between returning to Sarah and submitting herself under Sarah's hands. Very graphic. Or keep on running away. And God did not give Hagar any other option. Well, you could do this, you could do that. No, there was just one way. Hagar was clearly being instructed to go back, as in repent, and submit. And that was not an easy decision for Hagar to make. Not at all. That was very hard. Sarah had been very hard on Hagar. It was very hard. But the only way for Hagar as far as God was concerned, was return and submit. Because what she would gain by obeying God or what she would lose by not obeying God was what Hagar had within her sight. She had everything to gain by obeying God and everything to lose by turning back and keep on running. And she could receive God's reproof for being proud and follow God's course of correction to return and submit to Sarah. She could choose to see that she was wrong for becoming proud. She could choose to see that she deserved the harsh treatment of Sarah and return and submit. Or Hagar could follow Cain, who refused to repent, and instead Cain chose the course that's described in Genesis 4.16, and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Cain said, I had enough of that. I'm out of here. Cain made that tragic decision to keep his pride and run. 
And the way of returning and submitting is the way to have the life with God because the way to refuse to return and submit is the way to go out from the presence of the Lord. And so Hagar saw that this really came down to her deciding. She's either gonna gain God or lose God in her life. Fortunately for Hagar, she made the hard decision, the right decision to return and submit. But Hagar was about to give birth. She's about to be a mother, and she's worried, as any mother would be, about what's going to happen to her baby. And so Hagar has this silent cry for what's going to happen to her baby. And God heard that cry. He heard that silent cry of Hagar. And God answered her concern in verse 10. The angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall not be numbered for multitude. So God assured Hagar that not only would her baby live, but that from him would be a great people. And then God gave to Hagar this promise about her seed that's very similar to the promise that God gave to Abraham. And God's gonna multiply her seed exceedingly and that they would be so large a number can't number it. And then we see in verse 11 how God begins to tell Hagar as the expectant mother about her son. And he says, behold, thou art with child, shall bear a son, call his name Ishmael because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. So first God tells Hagar that she's gonna have a son not a daughter. And then God does something for the first time in the Bible. He's never done this before. God names the child before it's born. I'll do it after this point, but this is the first time in the Bible that God names the child before it's born. And he says that the name of the child is Ishmael, which literally means God has heard. God has heard. And he explains to her that he's naming the child Ishmael because the Lord hath heard thy affliction or thy misery. So Ishmael is named to commemorate that God has heard Hagar's misery. That's a wonderful name. It's actually a wonderful name, Ishmael. God has heard. Ishmael describes an event, the event when God heard Hagar's misery. Now, would to God that all of us should have an Ishmael event, that God should hear our misery. And notice how in verse 11, God does not say that he heard her prayer but that he heard her affliction, which teaches us that our afflictions are like prayers to God that he hears. In verse 12, you see God describes what her son's gonna be like. He says, well, he's gonna be a wild man. His hand's gonna be against every man, every man's hand against him. He's gonna dwell in the presence of his brethren. So he tells Hagar that your son's gonna be a wild man. And God describes Hagar's offspring as being at odds with each other. His hand is gonna be against every man, every man's hand's gonna be against him. That's a very good description of the Ishmaelites. They've notoriously been at war with each other. I mean, even before Islam, the Arabs were fighting each other. The northern African Arab countries have just have a history of being at war with each other all the time. Iraq has a longstanding uh, war with Iran. And look at Iraq today, and the U.S. has pulled out of Iraq. And what did it say last month? There were 900 people who died in these suicide bombs. That's one Ishmaelite against another Ishmaelite. And then God said that he will dwell in the presence of his, all his brethren. The Israelis are acutely aware of this part. Because <laughs> no matter what the Israelis do, they can put up all the walls that they want to put up. The Israelis cannot escape from, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. They cannot escape from living among the descendants of Ishmael. Then in verse 13, we have Hagar's response, which is one of surprise. It's one of appreciation. 
And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me, for she said, Have I also looked after him that seeth me? So since God has just named her baby, Hagar returns the favor, and she now names God. And she calls God by the name, Thou God seest me. So what has impressed Hagar here is that God has cared about poor little Hagar, poor little insignificant Hagar. God cares. What has impressed Hagar was the fact that God has heard her affliction, and the love of God has melted Hagar's heart, and she's decided to give her own name to God, for God. He's going to call him God who sees me. That's a great name for God. And that name for God reminds us that God's always seeing us, like it says in Psalm thirty-three, eighteen. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. And Hagar is just all caught up with the behold of it all. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. Then she asks herself a very searching question. She's filled with this wonder that God has cared for her so much. And she turns now and asks herself the question, if he's cared so much for me, do I care about him? Well, we'll have to stop this morning and we'll continue next week. Father, thank you so much for how we see you so tenderly cared for Hagar and leading her back. And we see in your dealings with Hagar how you tenderly cared for us and the goodness of God led us to repentance. We thank you, Lord, for being the God who sees us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Looking for an exciting career in the medical field or biotech industry? Join Scanabody's Biologics, founded by a Christian businessman, Tom Cantor. It's a premier company dedicated to advancing patient care and serving the community of San Diego. Scanabody's has global operations and over 700 employees and growing. And if you have a heart for people and a desire to join a leading biotech company, call us 619-258-9300, 619-258-9300, scanabodies.com, that's scanabodies.com.